Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Just come and fill this space, Holy Spirit. God, we're so honored that you would join us in the room this morning. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have it, it will be on the screen. I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we'll read the next three later on in the message. Now, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Now, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other people from Galilee, Jesus asks. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about this? What about the 18 people who died when the towers of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish as well. So let me give you some context to what we just read. If you were to back up in Luke chapter 12, uh, you would see the scene in which there's literally thousands of people that have gathered to hear Jesus's teachings. So there is a big crowd and nobody's wearing masks. There's this giant crowd and the disciples are there and there's people from all types of life. There's fishermen and tax collectors and there's Pharisees and Sadducees and uh, this and, uh, a very eclectic group of people are coming to listen to the teachings of Jesus and the first words out of his uh, mouth in chapter 12 is this, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees of their hypocrisy. So after this, he, he's, he's going to say, listen, there's some hypocrisy going on, and, and we need to beware of this. And then he goes into the teaching, and, and it gets to the point, to the teaching, where, where Peter literally asks this question uh, in, in 12, verse 41. Lord, is this illustration, is this teaching, is it for us, or is it for everyone? Let's so say it's the moment in the sermon in which the disciples are like, you're talking to somebody else, right? Like, that's for my wife, what you just said, Jesus, that's, she needs to hear that is what Peter's doing. Like, is it this, does it pertain to us? Is this for everyone? Peter wants some clarity. Jesus continues with the teaching, and there's just something that y- you realize, like, the people aren't getting it. Jesus goes, and in the middle of Jesus' uh, message, there's this interruption. There's this, there's this, what would be the first century news feed, Someone comes and tells Jesus, hey, hey, hold on, this terrible thing has happened. Some people have been murdered by the hands of Pilate while they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And, and, and it's like this moment of, wait, hold on, something really bad has happened. But there's an overarching um, idea that goes along with this news that Jesus has gotten, and that's this, that the people have died because they were bad people. They must have done something wrong. They must have done something really bad in order for them to die while they were making sacrifices at the temple. 
And, and just imagine this moment. Even today, have you ever had the moment where you've heard some tragic news? Something has happened, but yet instead of responding with a sense of, oh man, I can't believe that happened, you respond with this, well, yeah, they deserved it. The moment of the time you hear, well, yeah, they overdosed, and well, yeah, I knew they were hooked on drugs, and it was just a matter of time. Or did you get news about that girl, and oh, yeah, I remembered her from high school. I knew it was a matter of time before she was going to get locked up. And, and there's just something inside of you. When you've heard tragic news, all of a sudden, wait, hold on, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen. There's no compassion at all. There's just this idea of, yeah, they must have done something wrong. Have you ever looked at a homeless person and made snap judgments and, well, they must have made really bad decisions? An addict. Someone that, well, is living a different whatever than you, and all of a sudden there's this moment where you're looking at them, and we've been trained to think this way. Uh, and the irony of it is when it comes to our actions, our lives, we want to live and we want everyone else to treat us as if we have the benefit of the doubt. We want everyone else to judge us on our good intentions, but yet our judgment to everyone else is, well, I knew it all along. They kind of got what they deserved. If something's going on here, all of this has happened. This is the news feed. This is the news that is being broadcast to Jesus, but it's being broadcast with a bias. Like, we don't know anything about that in America. We don't know anything about the news being broadcast with a bias. Like, you could believe everything that you read on Facebook, you can believe everything on Fox and CNN. And like, there's no political agenda. There's nobody that has any money on the line. There's nothing in it for anybody else. They're trying to just simply give the news. Like, 2020 America, first century Jerusalem, there's nothing in common, right? Sarcasm, if you haven't caught that yet. So Jesus is getting this news, and the plot is, listen, uh, some, they've, they've been killed. Something really bad has happened, and it's been twisted to the fact that, well, somehow the victim has deserved it. And Jesus knows the heart of this news feed, and he calls them out on it. And his response is this. Do you think that they were worse sinners than the other people? Do you think that this is the reason why they suffered? Do you think that somehow these people deserved it? And then Jesus goes even further with his illustrations. But what about the 18 people that died when the tower fell on them? What about all of the hundreds of people that died in 9-11? Were they somehow worse sinners than everybody else because this tragic thing happened? And Jesus puts everyone in their place and he says, like, no, no, no. You're trying to sell a story that's just not true. Because we have something in us that, man, if something bad happens, well, we must have done something to deserve it. Well, she can't get pregnant. Well, there must be some sin in her life. See, that was the overarching thing if you were a woman back in that day and you were barren. If you couldn't have kids, man, you must have done something to displease God. When bad things happen, man, it was just, man, you have messed up. Chris McKenzie, and I'm, I've asked Pastor Chris, to, he's going to tell this story at some point. Uh, he lost a house to the ocean. Like, literally, the ocean took his house. House beside him, still there. Houses around him, still there. His house is gone. 
Chris must have done something really bad for God to take his house. Like that's the way we think. That somehow all of this is our fault. Somehow, like, oh, like, the cancer has come back. God hasn't healed you. You must have done something wrong. You've got to do something else. And Jesus loads the boat here and says, listen, what you don't understand is unless you repent, you will perish too. He loads the boat where, listen, we are all sinners and thank God that we didn't get what we deserve. Thank God by his mercy and his grace. And he puts everybody, every single person in this entire crowd in the same boat and he brings about this perspective. Now, I want you to hold that for a minute because that's the context in which Jesus tells this next story. Okay, I know this is a hard message to hear, but just let it sink in. Because then Jesus says this. He's just loaded the boat. He's just told everyone. He's, he's broken all of their assumptions, all of their ideas, and like all of us of what we think is good and what we think is bad. And then he says this. He tells a story in verse 6. Now, a man, he planted a fig tree and, hidden, and in his garden, and he came again and again to see if there was any fruit in it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Just cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. And the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention. I'll give it plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs from it next year, fine. And if not, then you could cut it down. And so Jesus tells this story. And, and he's just leveled the playing field, right? And so we're all in the same boat, but then there's no conclusion to the story. You're like, no, Jesus, continue with the story. What happens to the tree? I, w- I want to know that the gardener's taking care of the tree. Does, does the tree start to produce some figs? Is, is the owner of the vineyard happy? Has, the, has the, the gardener done his job? Tell me what happens to the tree. And if you're there, you're thinking, you're hearing this story, and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I am the tree. I'm the tree in this story, and I've been planted in the garden. And I've, I've lived my life with the beautiful surroundings. And I get to bask in the rays of the sun. And I get to partake in the same rain that comes down on that tree and that tree and that tree. And all of this is happening. And, and as the wind blows, man, my leaves rattle in the wind. And so, man, that is a beautiful garden. But there's something wrong with this tree. See, while every other tree has fruit on it, this tree is empty. This tree, year after year after year, the owner comes looking. Is this the year that there'll be some fruit only to be disappointed? And and then there's this moment, if, if you're the tree and we're thinking, man, okay, maybe the garden's big enough that I could just blend in and no one will notice that there's not any fruit on my tree. I could just blend in to everything else around me. I, 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 could, I, could, I could look 
the part, but just not produce any fruit. But the owner recognizes. And, and, and I just think it's so funny that I, how this applies to us today that uh, as, as Christians, I think sometimes we could, just, we could just come to church or we could listen to the right radio station or we could, we could learn really quick like what's acceptable and not acceptable Christian behavior. So we can dress the part. We could use the right language. We can know what to say, what not to say. We could do all of the right things, all blend in day in and day out, and yet never produce any fruit. And you know who is the best at blending in? Me. Pastors. Man, we have, we have this ability. Listen, for 30 minutes, I could get up here and make you think that I got it all together. For 30 minutes, the wind can blow, and I could rattle some leaves and you could think, man, that's a pretty good tree in the garden. Man, what? Man, pastor, he, he's, he's doing good. He must, man, him. And, and Jesus is addressing this. Listen, hold on. First of all, all the people that you think are worse sinners, you're actually in the same boat. And if you don't repent, you'll perish too. And, and, and year after year, if there's no fruit on this tree, what good are you doing in the garden? I didn't call you to just come to church on Sunday mornings and sit in a chair and go home. I didn't call you to just have the right language and wear the right clothes. I didn't call you to just blend in so that way you could live a good and acceptable American Christian life. And we've taken the gospel and turned it to this Americanized thing into which Jesus is like, I think sometimes for some it's year after year, I'm waiting for some fruit on that tree. Yeah, we look the part. And Jesus, unless you repent. And so real quick, you realize, listen, if I'm the tree, Jesus is the gardener. Jesus is the gardener. And he's like, wait, wait, hold on. Remember, everybody's included in this. The disciples, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, everyone, like the boat's loaded. And yet Jesus, the gardener, like, hold on, listen, I know you've come looking for some fruit. There's none there. Let me take care of it. Let me, let me pay special attention to it. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to put fertilizer. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that we get some fruit from these trees. So much so that I'll go to the cross so much so that I'll step out of heaven and into, into humanity, take on the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin, and while we were yet sinners, died for us. Done everything he can to make this tree bloom. And, and says, listen, I'm going I'm to do it all. And, and there's this quick realization that you need help from the gardener. You can't be disciplined enough. You can't have enough good habits. You can't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good father. You can't just have enough willpower and read enough books and blend into the crowd well enough for everyone else to think you're doing a good job. Because while we could fool some people, we'll never fool Jesus. And he's done everything he can to, to, to make sure that we could be ones that produce fruit in the master's garden. And I love his response. He does two things. One, he says, listen, let me dig 
around it. Let me separate this tree from the rest of the garden. Let me separate this tree from the rest of the garden. I think there's some people that you feel separated right now. We live in a world that is separated. We live in a world that you have to spend six feet away from someone. We live in a world where there's people that haven't left their house in months. Everything feels disconnected. Everything feels like, man, this is, feels like punishment, but the truth is it's mercy. The truth is it's mercy. See, Jesus constantly separated himself. He separated himself from the crowd over and over again. At the beginning of his ministry, he separated himself and he went out into the desert. And in the desert place where he was tempted by the enemy, that's this place that, man, we tried to avoid at all cost. And yet Jesus was separated, not so he could be apart, but actually so he could grow closer so he could get closer to the Father, so he could hear the Father's voice, so he could be ready for the ministry that was ahead of him. He was separated so that way he could be filled. See, there's a huge difference between separation and isolation. See, separation will bring us together. Separation will bring us to a place where we're empty so that way he can fill us. It brings us closer to God. Isolation does the opposite. Isolation causes you to withdraw. Isolation causes you to disconnect, to disengage. And the funny thing is, on the outside, they look very, very, very familiar. They look almost as if they could be one and the same. They look as if the tree could look just like that tree and that tree. Have we been isolating or have we been separating? Because there is a huge difference. The other day, uh, I've just been spending time with the Lord and I got to this moment where I was sitting on my back porch and I literally sat there for, I don't know, two or three hours and Devin's all, are you going to come in? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just going to sit here and I, just, I was just spending time with Jesus and it was kind of just a moment that I haven't had in a really long time. Usually when I pray, it's, it's five minutes later that my brain is thinking about something else. But for some reason, man, I was just engaged with the Lord, and um, the sun went down, and it was, it was about 9 o'clock at night, and I was just like, man, I don't want this to be over. And so I went to the house, and I grabbed a tent, <laughs> and I went out in the backyard, and I set the tent up, and I just I left it open, and I was just staring at the stars, and I was just praying and just spending time with the Lord, and I fell asleep, and at 2 in the morning, the air mattress was deflated, so I was like, all right, Lord, you're not in this place anymore. Right, we'll, we'll go back into the house. You know, but it, it was just this, there was this separation, but it was a filling. And, and there's this principle in Scripture that, man, what he separates, he fills. And this is the second thing he does is he separates. He digs around this tree, but then he fills it. And what's crazy is what he fills it with. It says, like, I'm going to put plenty of fertilizer the, the, the actual words that Jesus uses, uses here uh, in, in the language is, I'm going to fill this thing with manure. I'm going to dig around this thing. I'm going to make it feel as if it's isolated. But the truth is, I'm just separating it for its own goodness. And then I'm going to fill it with some stinky stuff. 
I'm going to fill it with things that we try to avoid. Nobody has perfume that smells like fertilizer. Nobody, nobody welcomes the stink close. And yet this is the very thing that Jesus is doing to bring about life. I'm going to put things that you think stink. I'm going to bring them close. Things that you have been trying to keep at a distance, I'm going to bring close. There's things that have been at a distance for a long time that Jesus is now bringing close. There's racism in America. There's these things that we've been trying to keep at a distance. There's anger. There's frustration. There's hostility. There's, there's greed. There's unforgiveness. There's all of these things that we've kept at a distance because we could blend in the garden. Now all of a sudden they're, they're front and center. And Jesus is saying, we're going to deal with some of these things. And because of the stink, man, we just want to avoid all of that. Avoid the things inside here because it's easy to blend out here. Could it be that during this whole process that God has been putting some things in your life that you've been trying to avoid? Could it be for some of us we've been dwelling in the garden for a long time but we haven't been producing any fruit? Could it be that we've basked in the rays of the sun and our leaves have rustled in the presence of his wind, but there is yet to be any fruit on our branches. Someone said, uh, it's a saying we all know that the grass is greener on the other side. The truth is, the grass is greener where the septic tank is. The grass is greener where the fertilizer is. The grass is greener when things that we try to avoid, God brings close, and there's repentance. See, here's the amazing thing about fertilizer. Fertilizer takes a long time before it affects the fruit. It affects the root long before we see the fruit. And I think that there's some things that the Lord is doing that he wants to get to the root of you so that way he could get to the fruit of you. And see, it's a good thing to remember that in this story, that it's not, a, it's not a quick process. As a matter of fact, year after year after year, he came back looking. And to the point where even the gardener's like, let's give it even another year. Because there's some things that I'm going to do that I want to get at the roots of this thing before we start seeing it. And we have a choice to make. We could continue to ignore or we could allow the Lord to do his work in us. To the Lord, get to the root. I'm no longer content just blending in the garden. And God, no matter what is happening in society, whatever is happening in my culture, God, you are enough. God, no matter what is happening, my trust and my hope is in you. Now, I want to take a minute, I want to kind of pause, and I want to turn our attentions to the screen. Because this is something, if, if you take notes, have your phone, that... Because let's be honest, in five minutes when you leave this place, you'll forget everything we talked about. I'll forget. We do. It's just how we are. So the first thing during this process that I want you to take hold and to pray about is 
this idea of Christ alone, that he alone is able. Is there anything in our lives that we said, it's Christ plus something else? Jesus, uh, it's you plus as long as this works out my marriage and my kids and my finances. And, or as long as this hope and this dream is realized, then I'll serve you. Christ alone. God, you are the cornerstone. The next thing is this. The priesthood of all believers that we are a kingdom of priests, that it's no longer just the work of a select few to do the ministry, that you can no longer blame the church. You can no longer, the church isn't doing this, the church isn't doing that. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And if this thing gets shut down where we can never have a gathering like this again, the gospel is still going to go forward. I believe people will still get saved, but they need to get saved in the Walmart checkout line. As a matter of fact, I think God would prefer it to get saved on the beach and in your driveway and when the mailman delivers the mail and when your neighbor is acting a fool and you can show the love of Christ to them. Maybe God's doing something in that space that it's no longer blaming anyone else, that we people are the kingdom of priests. And that if we're going to change the world, it's going to be all of us together. It's no longer just us celebrating. Last week we had two people get saved. I mean, that is amazing. That's what I live for. But you know what? I'm even more exciting to hear your stories of, of this is what happened this week. And this is these people that came to Christ. And this is what happened, and there was so much unforgiveness, and there was so much bitterness, but you know what? Now there's reconciliation, and now there's hope. I was talking to someone this last week, and, and they were just saying, listen, Lucas, I was going through something, and I couldn't see a way out of it, even to the point where I told Jesus, there's just no way out. And he said, at that moment, he felt the Lord speak to him. You want to know the way out? The way out is humility. Humbling ourselves. God, you alone, we are the kingdom of priests. Humility. Did we skip one? We skipped one. First love. Return to the works that you did at first. We as a people, every single one of us, every institution has a natural tendency to lean towards complexity. In all of life, you ask any businessman, any businesswoman, it all has a tendency to lean towards complexity. To keep things simple is a challenge. As things get bigger, as things get wider, as things whatever, we have a tendency to add, well, now we've got to do this, and now we've got to do this. And when God is like, listen, I know all of your works. I know the amazing things that you're doing. I know all of this. But listen, you've lost something in the process. The just sheer simplicity of just loving Jesus, just Jesus, you're enough. I'm with this no matter what. And God, you're my first love. How are we going to do it? These three things, what I believe that God's doing in the body of Christ, our response to them needs to be A, our response of humility, B, a response of ownership, 
It's not, we're not blaming anybody else. And C, repentance. All three of those things under that last slide. Uh, Yeah. And if you want to, at this moment, take out your phone and please take a picture of this. Take a picture, put it in your phone, look at it later, because this is what I'm asking you to pray about. This is what I'm asking you to say, Lord, is this possibly something that you're doing in the world today? That, God, there needs to be a certain something in our soul. Because the goal is you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Have I done anything that, God, I've made it Christ plus something. God, have I put my responsibility on someone else? And God, have I lost something along the way? If so, maybe all three of these things are going on in my heart. God, humble me. God, help me to take ownership of this thing. And God, I repent. When we're a people that begin to live out the truth of Jesus in the ways of Jesus, we will then experience the life of Jesus. And it's not a one-man show. It's all of us. The only stage in heaven is the one that Jesus is on. The only one that deserves to be lifted up is Jesus. The only one that's going to get you through it when no one else answers the phone, when your wife doesn't understand what you're going through, when the doctor's report comes back negative, when your best friend stabbed you in the back, when your kids have gone crazy, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. And with everything that's going on, I believe there's a part of us that wants so bad to return to how it was. And that is not the goal. That we need to be obedient to the words of Christ and the working of Christ. That God There's been some trees in the garden without any fruit. And it's not this kind of condemnation thing. See, some of us, I think we could be tempted to go home and just beat ourselves up. Because remember, at the beginning of this, Jesus loaded the boat. And asked the worship team to come back up. Jesus loaded the boat and there's this realization that Peter, tax collector, pastor, prophet, evangelist, we all need to repent. We all need Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.